Vimepair's New York City headquarters, I'm Adam Teeter. And I'm Joanna Sharina. And in Seattle, Washington, I'm Zach Jabal. And this is the Vimepair Podcast. And before we kick things off, <laughs> I want to air some grievances. Oh, good. <laughs> I listened I listened to the Monday episode, I was, you know, last week. Thanks. And, you know, there were some comments made about how some people you know, maybe weren't going to complain about service on this episode. <laughs> but I will say, in my absence, Joanna, mm-hmm. Zach talked even longer than usual. <laughs> and, you know, so, you guys, I'm here to, like, make sure keep we, us get, in check. We, we keep going, you know? <laughs> even if maybe once in a while I have an issue with the server. <laughs> you know? Well, this is a good episode for that, so yeah. I think... I know. Uh, yes. So, anyways... uh Zach, since uh, you'll probably take the majority of this segment, um, <laughs> what did you what did you been drinking recently? Oh, I feel like here's where I'm usually the most concise of the three of us. Actually, um, true, yeah. <laughs> so I the thing I had recently that I really loved it was fun. I had the opportunity to open a bottle of uh, wine that I'd actually got in France when I was there a number of years ago with my nice. wife. Um, yeah, we had gone to a winery, or actually a few wineries in Semur, uh, which is in the sort of um, central part of the Loire Valley, west central part, uh, area that specializes in Chenin Blanc and Cabernet Franc. And this was a Chenin Blanc from a producer uh, who's actually an American, um, which is kind of cool. He's a rare American who's a winemaker there and in, in, in anywhere in France, but especially in the Loire. Uh, and so we, it was the four-year anniversary of our visit to the winery. So Caitlin and I decided it would be a good time to open the bottle and it was delicious and it was fun. And and as much as I think that, you know, you and I certainly have talked before Adam about how that experience can sometimes not go the way you hope uh, that the bottle you brought back doesn't taste as good as you remember. Uh, This one came through, which was nice. So that was, that was delightful. Great. And anything else or that's it really? Um, I'll, I'll, I'll keep it, I'll keep it brief, but I know, because I know you did some traveling, so you probably have mm-hmm. lots of cool stuff to share. Well, let's let Joanna go next. Okay. okay. We can go next. Um, <laughs> this past weekend I was up, um, just outside of Hudson, New York with some friends, um, who we haven't seen in a while. And, um, we went to a restaurant called WM Farmer and Sons. I love Hudson. that place. Great place. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we, I had, they have a really great cocktail program there. Mm-hmm. So I had a cocktail, a gin cocktail called the Cavalier with um, Amaro Montenegro and dry vermouth. And I guess it's inspired or inspired by or from Attaboy. Oh, cool. Um, so, so that was really good. I, I don't usually go for the gin cocktail, but I've been trying to do that more recently. And then, and then back at the, you know, the cabin that we were staying at, I made some hot toddies oh. first of the season. And so what, what's your hot toddy recipe? Um, I tried to make like a concentrate, mm-hmm. um, in like a pitcher or whatever. It was a French press and with, uh, with lemon juice, some maple syrup. Cause we had it. Honey probably is better, but I'm kind of feeling good. the maple syrup mm-hmm. and, uh, some, some cinnamon and I do like a little concentrate there with some hot water and then do whiskey in every cup, pour the concentrate over and then top up with hot water. How much, like how much whiskey? Two ounces of whiskey. And what kind? Uh, this was just some like whiskey we got in Philadelphia. That wasn't, (laughs) wasn't the best. We need to move it through. (laughs) We need to to cycle through. (laughs) Yeah. That's that's amazing. Mm -hmm. Cool. What about Um, you, Adam? So I was obviously in California last week. I had birthier wine. Ooh. Yeah, it was cool. It was super cool. The person we were at dinner with, like, randomly was in very jovial spirits and was like, Josh, Adam, because Josh was with me, and he was like, what's your birth years? And we're like, we're both 83. <laughs> and I just, you all know how old I am. Anyways, and uh, 
And so I had two really interesting things. We were in Napa. So I had Rutherford Hill mm-hmm. Low, which was really delicious. And then I also had um, this wine that was crazy. It was Calera Reed Pinot Noir. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. And, but like the, the label was crazy. It was 83, right? So it just said California table wine huh. on it, which was <laughs> so funny. Um, but both were delicious and then had some other really cool stuff, like an 87 Frog's Leap Zinfandel that was mm. just mind blowing, some Stony Hill Chardonnay, some fun stuff. Mm. Um, and then, so I was spoiled by that trip. So then when I came home, I didn't like do a lot of drinking mm-hmm. through the weekend because, uh, Reasonable. yeah, sure. yeah, it was, it, there, there was, a, there was a lot of fun that was had prior. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So that, that was me. Nice. Very cool. Yeah. So this week, so, there's this column on Vine Pair that I was – it was suggested I start writing about five years ago called Ask Adam. I don't know how I'm still writing it, but like people write it and well, ask – You're still Adam as far as we can tell. And I give my opinion, which is quite strong. Mm-hmm. And I have a very strong opinion about tipping and that uh-huh. is that you should always fucking do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and my opinion on tipping you know, basically centers around this is our system. Like – I wish that we had a better system in the United States. I wish that we paid fair wages. you know, fair wages <laughs> and that people who work in the service industry didn't have to rely on tips to actually make their salaries when, you know, the owners are able to pay two bucks an hour at some places, right? Like I wish that that wasn't the case, but it's the system that was created here. And therefore the tip is part of your fucking bill, mm-hmm. right? And it's not your way to lord over the server to be like, you you please me in the way I would like to be pleased or I take away some of your salary. Like mm-hmm. that's just not how this works. Mm-hmm. And so basically uh, someone wrote in asking, you know, what do I think about tipping and should it, like, what do I do if there's bad service? Right. Like, do I, can you not tip? And mm-hmm. I basically wrote back, fuck no, you can't not tip. Mm-hmm. That you could reduce the tip. I would only reduce it to 18% mm-hmm. because I believe that the person still needs to get paid and because you don't know whose fault it is that you had bad service. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was many, 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 many <laughs> emails uh, written comments, in comments tweets. that I'm wrong, that the tip should be give you know, should be allowed to be zero, that people need to learn their lesson. I love those emails that mm-hmm. like, well, I must not be a parent because you need to be able, you know, you have to teach people when they're bad. And just just really gross, really gross responses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I guess that's why we decided to talk about it today because I just – I'm in this position where I don't understand the disconnect between – I've never – like and oh, a lot of people being like, you must have been in a service position. It's mm-hmm. the only reason. So just so if any of you fuckers who called me out, <laughs> I've never been in service, mm-hmm. okay? I was a cater waiter in college. That's mm-hmm. not service, right? I actually got paid a fair wage when I was a cater waiter, which is – insane i got mm-hmm. like 15 or 20 bucks an hour to be a cater waiter which was great money and you weren't allowed to take tips it's just the way the system is mm-hmm. right it's human decency to pay people for doing a job for serving you and again if there was a better system out there we should move toward but there's there's such a resistance to move towards that system mm-hmm. that this is the system and if you want to go out to eat this is the cost of going out to eat. If you don't want to be in a position where you need to pay someone an additional fee on top of the menu prices to serve you, then don't go out to eat. Mm-hmm. And I'm telling you, 
if we did pay fair wages, it would be reflected in the price of the dishes. Of course. Right? Of course. You Mm -hmm. would still pay this. Mm -hmm. So I just don't understand the rationale that people have where they think that they can just be dicks to people. It just, Mm -hmm. I don't know. Anyways, really rubs me the wrong way. I'm curious if I I kind of have a feeling you're both going to agree with me because we're decent human beings, but not to put you on the spot there, Zach, but uh, (laughs) also you are the service industry professional, but like, I I don't know what, what do you guys think about all this? Well, I would love to hear Joanna's thoughts first and then I'll give mine. Cause, cause I think because I have a long career in that industry. um, Although Mm -hmm. I don't know, Joanna, maybe you, um, have some have you been service, Joanna? I did a I, I did a cater waiter gig as well, but oh, I yeah. also worked at like a you know like a country club pool bar yeah. kind of situation. Okay. So, um, so yeah, tips welcome, of course. But I was paid probably right fair a fair wage, probably. Yeah. <laughs> so what yeah. do you think? Well, it's funny because when Adam wrote this column, I thought, yeah, like this makes a lot of sense to me. Of course, you'd still tip. Maybe you don't tip as much if you feel like you had poor service. So you tip 18% instead of the 20 or 25% that, you know, 25% if you had really exceptional service. Um, And then, and then of course I heard of all the (laughs) complaints and people who wrote in to disagree. Um, Again, it it didn't really occur to me because I think that's my personal philosophy as well. It's what I was taught as a kid when I was paying for things myself or going out to dinner with my parents. Um, and I think that, yeah, even if I wasn't in another country, that's kind of how I would handle the situation as well. Um, we've been having conversations about service a lot lately. Yeah. Um, as, as kind of, we come out of not come out of COVID, but you know, over the past 18 months and how this, this hospitality and service industry has taken such a huge hit, and how they've had to adapt to these changes and and then more you know more customers and outdoor dining and things like that and and how diners needed to be patient and and I think just people people really lose sight of that stuff very quickly like you said they they there's an entitlement of going yeah. out um to eat and you forget that <laughs> people are working really hard to serve you and you know, it's a part of their job, of course, but but it's the onus is on the diner to to pay that and to pay for that service. Yeah. So so yeah, I agree. I agree with Adam. I I I feel similarly, and that's what I would do in that in that situation as well. Yeah, I mean, I think. And then Zach, I have actually specific questions for you. Fantastic. I feel like you know, you not tipping someone because you didn't have as great of an experience, or you lowering their tip, isn't going to make the night any better for you. Oh, it's yeah, just going to sure. make that person's night fucking mm-hmm. worse. Right. It's just like, you know what I'm saying? It's, yeah. it doesn't, do you really feel that much better that you, you were made whole if your dish wasn't cooked the, the proper way, or they didn't approach the wine service the way you thought they should, mm-hmm. or you thought they were, were sort of gruff. Does that really make you feel that much better as a human being to then stiff that person who needs to pay rent, needs to get mm-hmm. home, needs to take care of whatever else in their life, whether yeah. they have kids, pets, mm-hmm. taking care of an elderly parent? Like, th- How does that make you feel that much better? And I do think the tip unfortunately does give us this belief that we like have this power over a human right. being that you didn't interview. You don't employ, mm-hmm. right? And again, I get it. The, the background that people have of like, well, then their bosses should pay them more. Yeah, I would like them to too, but this is the system. Yeah. But so, Zach, I think you do agree with us. So mm-hmm. what I'm really curious about from you is your perspective of like 
how do things go wrong? Because I think mm-hmm. a lot of people place all of the blame on the person on the floor. Mm-hmm. And so many times it is not their fault at all. Yeah, wait. So, yeah. I mean, just I want to jump in before we move on to that, because I feel like we haven't discussed that tips are often pooled. Yeah. And so you feel like you have bad service from your person or your server, but and then you don't give them a tip. And then the rest of the team suffers as a result. Exactly. Everyone does. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, let me let me just let me just put one one point here and then I will answer your your question or, or give some examples of how things can go wrong in ways that might be, um, you know, hard to, to notice or, or um, unnoticeable for the diner. I think that my feeling about people tipping poorly or not at all is is kind of con- concentrated in three areas. So there is, I think, the misguided, but maybe not completely assholeish notion that people have of like, well, if something didn't go right. You know, you know, it's it's a very patronizing attitude, but they're like, here's a, here's an here's a chance for you to learn. They might think yeah. to themselves or something. Lesson. But the but the honest truth is that as a as a server, bartender, whatever, that communication is muddied at best because you never know if someone leaves you a bad tip. Is it just because they're a shitty tipper? They would have tipped you poorly no matter what you've done. Right. It's not like it comes with. It's like that's not like it comes with an outline. For in the most case, in you know an outline of exactly what they felt did not meet their standards. Now I don't know that I would have been all in most of those situations been all that interested in their opinion anyhow. But it's not even like it's an effective teaching tool. What I've always told people is that if you have a bad dining experience, a bad service experience, tip and then write an email to the to the restaurant. You stand a vastly better chance of both ending up with some form of satisfaction. I mean, when I was a manager, we would send people gift cards all the time because they explained or or talked about a situation they had that was not to their liking and we wanted them to come back. And so, you know, if you're in it for some kind of uh, recompense, that's the best way to do it, not to stiff the server. And it also is a a chance that your concern will actually be addressed with the server. Because look, I mean, I've been a service professional for a long time. I've worked with lots of people and some of them are not good. And some of them are having shitty days and some of them take it out on their customers. It happens. Like we're, all of us are human and and that doesn't make it okay for them. I mean, in the same way that you as a customer should not take out your shitty day on your server, exactly. the server should not take out their shitty day on your get, on the guest. If they're not capable mm-hmm. of giving you a level of service, they shouldn't be there. That doesn't mean it doesn't happen. It happens all the fucking time. And that's a broader topic than we're going to get to in this episode. But the point is, if you want your con- complaints addressed, then emailing or calling is the way to do it because it will actually get heard mm-hmm. and you can make your case. Um, the other category of people who tip poorly are, I think, I would say much more disingenuous about it and are cheap and are looking for excuses for they're looking for the less. break on their yeah. on their on their bill basically right, right. well and or they're just like hmm well everything was tasted good and i got all you know everything came in a timely fashion but you know there was that one point where i asked for you know another side of ranch and it took two minutes to come instead of one minute so let's tip 15 percent. like there are a lot of those people out there and those people those of you listening if that's you you suck. Like, I don't know what to tell you. Like, that's just an incredibly shitty thing to do. You right. know, if you, if again, as Adam said at the, uh, up front, in this country, in most restaurants, most places, you are expected to tip. And if you don't tip mm-hmm. in around 20%, you are, you know, you are, yeah, you are, you are hurting the person serving you and or the whole team of people serving mm-hmm. you in a way that, you know, they don't have another oppor- opportunity to make up for in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so to your question, I'll try it. Wrong? <laughs> yes. How does it go wrong? I'm sorry. I think that everyone thinks that 
it's always the server's fault, whether like the dish is late or things like that. So I'm just, I'm curious beyond, and, and I, I want to, we need to sort of focus on stuff beyond the, like the person is having a bad day and right. just yeah. takes it out on, you know, sure. diners. So I think the, the, the three kind of ways where things go wrong the most often, one of them is a broader restaurant issue of poor communication between the front of house and the back of house. Okay. And that can come about, you know, we've talked on this podcast and it's been discussed a lot in, in food and drink um, media a lot. You know, there are plenty of people on both sides of that, but in particular in the kitchen, chefs and otherwise, who are tyrannical in one form or another. And sometimes mm-hmm. you have a restaurant where it may be imperceptible to the guests in most ways, but where the service staff is uncomfortable talking to whoever is in charge of things in the kitchen. And that could be about something as simple as this guest has a nut allergy. It could be as big as, you know, this table doesn't like a dish. They're unhappy with it. And when you have poor communication, strained communication, things go wrong. I mean, dishes get, you know, timing is wrong on dishes. There's not good communication from the back of house to front of house when things are going slowly. I mean, it happens, right? You get a kit, you get an order that comes in or, or a few orders that come in at the same time that both, you know, that, that really kind of slam a given station in a, in a kitchen, you know, whatever that might be, it can back things up and it can be really frustrating when you're the server. And I've been this person more times than I care to count where, you know, the, the pantry station, you know, people making salads and appetizers and desserts is, staring at a 15 top that all got different salads and you're waiting for your one dessert. And, you know, people, you know, that's a cat, that's a place where people don't want to wait for 20 minutes for dessert Mm. um, generally. And so, you know, those inabilities, you know, but that's the thing where in a a restaurant with good communication, the server can go to that cook or go to the chef or whomever and say, Hey, look, can you guys get me table 24's, you know, cake real quick, you know, Mm. so-and-so is slammed. I get it. But, you know, I, I this table needs to get out to go to a show or whatever, right? Like all that kind of communication that in a healthy, respectful environment goes well can go really badly in, in environments where there isn't that level of communication. Mm-hmm. And I've worked in both restaurants, unfortunately. Another area is I think, you know, you can have the same kind of dynamic with the bar. I mean, again, with drinks and depending on how restaurants handle beverage service, the all beverage alcohol service might be kind of out of the hands of the server. There are plenty of restaurants where the bartenders pour glass pours of wine and stuff like that. So again, a really graceful server might be aware of that situation in the bar and might note to a guest when they order a cocktail, Hey, just so you know, the bar's a little bit backed up. That might take a little while longer. You know, Mm -hmm. would you, you know, can I bring you something while you wait? Can I get you a glass of wine? If that's something they can do, whatever. Right. You know, experienced, polished, graceful servers will understand when they need to cover for another part of the restaurant team that's struggling or just behind or buried in a way that is gracious and seamless. But again, that's not every server and that's not a knock on all of them. It comes with experience. It comes with a certain kind of, you know, attitude towards service of, of anticipating possible problems and preempting them. And then the third one is, and this is a, you know, this is a not small category. It's like your server does fuck up a lot. I mean, they forget things. They they put in the wrong entry into the, you know, the wrong thing to the POS. They, you know, servers make mistakes all the time. Everyone does. Yes, of course. But again, this is where experience and graciousness comes into play. I, you know, it took me a while to get to this place as a server. Like when I was new to it, this was not me. And it, and it took me a while to learn and to, to grow as a person, as a professional. But like the thing to do when you make a mistake is to own it to the guest to say, Mm -hmm. you know what, I'm really sorry. I forgot to do, you know, I forgot to fire your entrees. I forgot to ring in that drink. I forgot to do X, Y, or Z. And the best thing you can do as a server is to come to the table with that information 
and a plan, right? And it's, you know what, I forgot to fire your entrees. It's going to be a while, you know, it's going to be 25 minutes, but we have another course coming for you, or I've got a round of drinks coming for you. Like, yeah. You, what you what your job as a server to do is not to make sure that nothing ever goes wrong because something will always go wrong. That's life. Your job is to make sure that your guests don't feel like you don't give a shit about their experience. Mm-hmm. And I think at the heart of this issue, and and you know, I don't know about the person who wrote in initially to you, Adam. I don't know what their experience was, but at the heart of the issue is a feeling that that can be really frustrating as a diner, and I've had it as a diner more times than I like, where yeah. you get the sense that the person serving you does not give a shit about the experience you're having. And that can be for whatever set of reasons, you know, I I don't want to get into all of them. Right. And that to me is not necessarily an opportunity where you would tip poorly, but that is an opportunity where I think as a diner, you should communicate to the restaurant after the fact I've done it. I have written emails to say like, here's the deal. I work in service and this to me is not acceptable. No, 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 no. Yeah. You you go to, because, because in the end, you know, you don't want to air someone else's dirty laundry. You don't know what's going on in that person's life. You don't know what's going on in that restaurant. And it's not your job as the diner to, to discipline them. You know, if there are issues, that's, that's what management and restaurants should handle, right? If they're consistently unable to, to, to serve their guests well, that's a problem. And that's a problem the restaurant has to deal with, but it's not your job as the guest to, to solve that. Anyhow, that was a ton of me. I apologize, but I do want to throw a question back at the both of you, oh, which please. is, <laughs> which is, you know, I have thought a lot, especially now in uh, since the pandemic started, and I haven't really been doing service for a while, uh, other than some one-off things. I have wondered, you know, for a long time in the restaurant industry, you know, you heard from all quarters of people within it that that just tip culture in America was endemic. You know, you were just not going to get rid of it. We had yeah. this whole, you know, mm-hmm. uh, Danny Meyer famously tried to get away from tipping and then had to go back because his staff was unhappy and blah, blah, blah. And I just wonder if we're in a, if that, if that is as true now as it used to be. I mean, when you restaurant company can't get away from tipping. No, I think we can. I really do. I think, I think in part because of a lot of things that, again, I don't want to get into all here, but I think we are, we are seeing more and more, you know, you guys brought up a bunch in this, in the, first part of this about how essential it is that service professionals get paid a living wage. And to me, that only really can happen if we move from a system where service professionals are compensated sort of outside of the employment sphere, right? You know, you're, you're getting tipped. I mean, it's complicated these days. Tips are pooled in many places. Mm-hmm. You know, they're tracked more by the IRS because they're on credit cards, things like that. But still there is an element of when a, when a operator only has to pay a, minimum wage or a tipped minimum wage where the you're 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 leaving the sort of you you know that that employee employer relationship is weird and oh, not right. normal and i think that you know for most people you know despite the people who might have complained about your uh response adam i think most people listening to this most people who dine you know if you if there's a if there's a a 20% service charge on their bill yeah some small percentage of them might grumble about that but they just they just you just get used to it. You just deal with it. Our restaurant company, the, the company that I worked for before the pandemic, we had switched to it a couple of years before. And after, you know, an early period of kind of like, I don't know, people just got used to it. It just was the deal. Right. And that way they just they 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 got their check. They paid their bill. They signed the, the slip and it was it. There was no there just wasn't drama about that. And And I think that, you know, we just are in an era where we recognize that, like, you can't just rely on diners the customers right to pay your employees like that's a silly model that has a lot of bad history behind it yeah and i don't think we need to be we need to try and move away from it i think even if for the time being i agree that if you go out to dine you just still need to understand that you know 
you can't take your own personal stand against a broad system, but you can encourage the restaurants you go to and, and choose to go to restaurants that, that do compensate their employees fairly. So like that was the classic, I have a question, not a statement, and then you make a statement. But <laughs> I guess that's I mean, true. Like a How about a prompt? <laughs> like to hear what yeah, this is, I, this is interesting. I Just to speak to some of the things that you said, Zach, um, and what we mentioned earlier, uh, I was recently in Canada, as you may recall, and I was with my in-laws and we were at a restaurant outside of Montreal and they were really understaffed and it was quite busy. And my father-in-law was talking to the server about what that experience has been like. <clears throat> and and so I, afterward, I was trying to explain to him this issue with mm-hmm. like a ser- service shortage and what's happening and how people are the staff that they can get in is overworked. So they have to close this restaurant had to close early because they didn't have enough staff um, to keep it open. And the people had already worked like maximum hours that week. So I said like, how do we solve this? Right. Uh, well, we pay, pay more, yeah. pay them more, right. Pay them more for their work. Um, and that kind of translates to higher prices on higher menu prices for diners. And it was just such a foreign concept to him. I mean, he he was just like, oh, so you mean we would just, everyone would be expected to pay more for the same food. And I said, yeah, but that, that's pretty much it. And, and I thought, that, <laughs> right, like we'd pay more yeah. like, menus. A burger know. wouldn't be $19. It would, it would be 25. Exactly. Um, and so, so yeah, it's like with that 20% service charge, uh, would pe- oh, how would people really respond to this and would they, how much, how long would it take for that to really be what we do? Um, instead of relying on tipping and tipping culture and people's very subjective take on tipping, um, for people to make enough money to live. Yeah. I mean, I think it may happen faster than we think. And the reason for that is the current market right like i think prior to the opening up of the world (laughs) what we were what we sort of heard from a lot of restaurateurs etc was like i need to go back to tipping because i need to keep my prices low because i need i need as many people back in as possible to like make up for what i've lost but now i think what everyone's realizing is oh shit uh, even if, if my prices are low and I'm slammed, but I don't have the service staff in order to serve those people right. because they don't want to come back to work because they have to, because it's, it's a tipper line business and they're going to get treated like shit mm-hmm. and they're sick of that. You know, yeah. I need to raise everything. And so I think, I think it's going to happen because too many of these restaurants are still understaffed. Right. And the only way you're going to attract and retain talent is to pay a premium. I have a lot of friends who own restaurants in New York that are fully staffed mm-hmm. because they, they pay, pay full well. wages. Yeah. And I'm sorry. You can say all you want that that's not what it is, that it's, you know, oh, it's, it's the Biden stimulus and blah, blah, blah. It, it's also that people don't want to go back to a job where they're totally reliant on you, the consumer, for their well-being. When there are so many other things that, that go into their job, they are so, you know, they, they owe so much to the restaurant. They have to do so many other things. They have to clean up. They have to mm-hmm. mop dirty bathrooms and clean up. You know, when someone has an issue, all that shit they have to do, literally, mm-hmm. they have to deal with. And so I think that there's a lot of services are like, look, I'm, I'm not going to go and have to do all this other stuff in my, in my job, doing inventory and, you know, coming in early to fold napkins and stuff. If then the majority of my salary is reliant on customers. Right. And so 
there's, I think it's just going to switch because it has to, mm-hmm. or these restaurants who also need to make a living, the owners, the chefs, et cetera, are not going to be able to stay in business. Well, and you think about it this way too, right? Like what other industry do we ask sort of like, you know, people who go to work at Target don't expect that their paycheck is going to vary based on how busy the target is, right? Like, yes, your schedule might be determined based on, to some extent, how busy the store is at a given time. And obviously, if a store does really, really poorly, it might close and you might be out of a job. But like, it is weird that we have traditionally asked front of house staff to take on a level of risk about like, how successful the restaurant will be like that is the owner's risk, right? If your restaurant is if your restaurant is dead, if your restaurant is unsuccessful, that's a that's your problem. And and it shouldn't be, you know, your your employees pay should not be variable based on how busy the restaurant is. Like that is just not mm-hmm. a a model we would accept in any other industry, mm-hmm. even other service industries. And and yet or or in or in the places where we accept it, it's much more direct, right? Like yes, if someone is a hairstylist and their salon, you know, maybe they work at a small salon or something like that and they're not busy, well, that's a little more on them. That kind of is a little more you really are more of an independent contractor sharing a space. But you know, as a server, as a bartender, or whatever, you have a limited ability to just bring in business for yourself, you mm-hmm. know, maybe a little bit as a bartender, I guess. But like you're you're operating in this larger context and your employer should be the one taking on the day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month risk in terms of business. And if they can't afford to stay open, then that's a problem and you got to find a new job. But like asking servers to take that risk is is just, it's, it's yeah, people don't want to do it and I don't blame them. Yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, moral story is this is what the system we need to go to. Hopefully we're going to get there sooner than later. Mm-hmm. In the meantime, don't be an asshole. Mm-hmm. If you're going to go, good advice. yeah. If if you are going out to dinner, yeah. factor it in. Mm-hmm. It is part of going out to dinner. Everyone has to do budgets. If you have kids, you have to factor in the cost of the babysitter and the food. I get it, mm-hmm. but like that is the cost of going out, mm-hmm. and part of that cost is if you're a decent human being, at least a twenty percent tip to the to the servers. Mm-hmm. If you want to disagree with me about fifteen percent, I probably will not dine out with you. <laughs> And that's all I have to say. I can't. I got nothing to add. You pretty well covered it. Yeah. Cool. I will talk to you both on Friday. Okay. Sounds good. Sounds great. Thanks so much for listening to the Vine Pair Podcast. If you love this show as much as we love making it, then please leave us a rating or review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. It really helps everyone else discover the show. Now for the credits. VinePair is produced and recorded in New York City and Seattle, Washington by myself and Zach Jabal, who does all the editing and loves to get the credit. Also, I would love to give a special shout out to my VinePair co-founder, Josh Mallon, for helping me make all this possible. And also to Keith Beavers, VinePair Tasting Director, who is additionally a producer on this show. I also want to, of course, thank every other member of the VinePair team who are instrumental in all of the ideas that go into making this show every week. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again.